Steve Cahan gives us a clinic on how to turn a $5 million cybersecurity company into a $1.4 billion exit. Who know what it takes to win? If so, you're in the right place. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm your host. Join me as I speak with some of the greatest business minds on the planet. Welcome to the Do Zone. Give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. Abraham Lincoln. DC Tribe, Josh Thomas, glad to have you. Hey, to make sure you don't miss another episode, I would love for you to follow and subscribe on Apple and or Spotify. Also, if you're looking to get a better idea of how you get stuff done, head over to DoZoneDNA.com and take our personality profile assessment built specifically for busy entrepreneurs just like yourself. It's going to show you how to build the world around you for optimal performance. Once again, that's DoZoneDNA.com. Today's guest is Stephen Cahan. He has successfully helped grow seven startup companies from early stage to going public or being sold, resulting in $5 billion in shareholder value. Stephen is the author of Amazon bestseller, Be a Startup Superstar. Stephen's newest book is called High Velocity Digital Marketing, and he lives in Texas with his wife. Stephen, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. What's up, tribe? And I would say that the key to getting things done, and in particular being a startup person, is, is realizing that causing disruption is hard work. So to me, the most important ingredient is realizing that there's no substitute for hard work. There's no substitute in my mind for rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty and doing that frequently. No great achievements are possible or sustained without hard work. And in many ways, I certainly believe that hard work is the price that you'll pay for the success that you desire to achieve. You know, uh, I, I really love that you shared that particular message uh, because I uh, was once uh, very recently, I was in a group kind of a mastermind of sorts, just a very small group. And we were talking about some ideas and we were talking about the concept of motivation. And the, the argument was made that most people are looking for motivation, uh, but the motivation is found in doing the work. We don't find motivation externally. We find motivation internally. Doing the work motivates us to do more of the work. And it's something that like once somebody says it to you, like what you just did, it kind of makes a lot of sense, but it's hard for us to think about it that way. And so why is it out of curiosity that the hard work, why why did you lead with that? Because I, I bet there's a story behind it. Well, certainly uh, being someone that is a hard worker, uh, it, it's kind of in my DNA but I feel that in many cases that people sort of wish for that easy button. And what I've learned in life is that there may be a few easy buttons along the way, but it really comes down uh, to, to hard work. And, and I always felt that 
in building competitive advantage that working my tail off was something that I always could view as a competitive differentiator, certainly within myself or within the teams that I worked on vis-a-vis -vis our competitors. That was, we may not be the smartest, we may not have the biggest budget, but gosh darn, we certainly could outwork them and we frequently did. Yeah. Yeah. In, and it's, it's a great lesson. You know, I, it's sometimes uh, 90 plus percent of uh, the success that you uh, derive from life is, is just showing up and doing the work. You don't have to be the best one in the room. You just have to be there and you have to be working. And so, yeah, I, you know, I agree. And I think a lot of people think that, that there, that means that you have to have a trade-off or you have to be having a poor work-life balance. And what I found is that isn't the case at all. I, I sort of view it as work-life harmony. And the way that I could really work my tail off but have uh, a lot of enjoyment and happiness on both personally and professionally is that I always managed myself by my calendar. And so I would look out into my calendar a couple of weeks ahead and make sure that if I wanted to be there for a kid's game or to be there for meals with the family or to work out at lunch or whatever it might be, I would schedule that time proactively for me, right? And just simply doing that rather than being in wall-to-wall -wall meetings enabled me not only to, to outwork on the professional side of things, but to be there and to enjoy uh, my kids, my family very much, uh, on the personal side. Yeah. And you know, you've, you've in, in that work-life balance, in that hard work, you've created monumental successes. You've grown seven startups either to, uh, a, a, a public opening or, or an exit. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. I don't, you don't have to go through the play-by-play -play of each business, but, you've been through this so many times. How do you balance that? And, and what are some of the key ingredients to taking a company from nothing to cash and you know, getting a check at the end of it? Yeah, well, I remember when I joined the last company that I was at, it was a company with a funny name called Thycotic. And I realized it sounds a little bit like psychotic. But it's like if it's like if somebody with a lisp said psychotic. Right. It was psychotic. like strike one against us. But on day <laughs> one, when I joined, the company was about five million in annual revenue. Revenue had flatlined for two quarters in a row. We had a very small sales team. Uh, there was no quotas, no territories. It was very much sort of ragtag. We had no partners. We had one person as a part-time hobby uh, that was covering territories outside of the Americas. And this uh, bright future was was being questioned by the, the venture capital folks who had just in, invested and, and brought me in. And we restored revenue growth that very first quarter, hit our numbers every quarter for five years running, grew from 5 million to 145 million and uh, sold the company uh, for 1.4 billion and it was a hell of a ride but what i really found to be so important 
was that you were surrounding yourself with A-plus talent. I think Jack Welch had it right when he said nothing matters more to winning than surrounding yourself with A-plus talent, as well as real, real quality people that shared very much a, a similar set of values. And, and that combination of, of A-plus talent where people were aligned and swimming in the same direction with a common sort of shared values, it really set the stage where when you combine that with playing in a, a good market, having a, a good product that then and having sufficient runway financially uh, so that we could we, we actually could be successful, that all of that sort of comes together and enables you to to achieve success and and certainly at my last company was a lot like the others where we just scaled revenue dramatically and so i'm curious i think you yada 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 over the sexiest part there <laughs> you come in there's a, there's a company doing five million dollars and within the first quarter you hit all your goals and you're crushing it and you're just you came in guns blazing and made it happen I just, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are listening right now. They're like, okay, well, what happened there? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the I, I remember it very vividly. Go ahead. And uh, I remember when I started that I asked the founder and the existing management team who the company's customers were. And they said, well, gee, Steve, I mean, you're a uh, sort of an experienced marketing exec. We're a cybersecurity company. We sell to the VPs of IT security or the chief information security officers. And I shook my head and said, great, uh, sounds good. And then I started to meet with our customers. And I found out that these VPs of IT security, chief information security officers weren't the customer at all. That even though the company was 5 million, that the customer actually was the IT admins who wore multiple hats. These were the techies in the trenches and downtime wasn't acceptable. They had to secure the infrastructure that they were administering. And that aha moment was identifying our ideal target buyer. And that buyer was never gonna read a Gartner analyst report. They would trust reviews from their peer group where they hung out online was very different than those running security. They wanted uh, simplicity, ease, right? And they uh, and so imagine if on day one, I would have suggested a digital marketing strategy that was targeted to the wrong buyer. Mm. So just that simple focus of understanding who our buyer was and really understanding the full context of our buyer's world and it really set us on the path to to be successful. That's huge, uh, because your uh, your original idea, the original idea of who the audience was, you need to cater to them in a certain way. But the people who are making the decision, they make those decisions in on a completely different set of variables. Uh, it would kind of be like, uh, you know, the the CEO. Uh, versus the uh, the office manager in a way is that kind of like if I were to you know, yeah 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 a hundred percent and 
And when you looked at sort of understanding our buyers, right, a lot of uh, organizations, they don't speak with their customers enough. And when they do, they, they'll ask them questions that just so happens to align with the products that they sell, rather than really trying to, to, to learn about that uh, buyer. And so you need to be asking questions about not only their challenges and the benefits that they expect, but even around things like the status quo. And the status quo, for example, is so important because a lot of times you don't lose business to a competitor, you lose business because you hear that, uh, that prospect saying, gee, what we have is good enough. And so by starting to ask the right questions, asking them about the status quo, for example, keeping a, a Google sheet or Excel spreadsheet populated with the words that they use. And then that really helped us to create content that resonated with them. And, you know, there's this fallacy that that uh, organizations need to have clever ways of, of positioning themselves to attract buyers. And really, these buyers don't care how clever your marketing is. They What they care about is that companies that they do business with uh, empathize with them, understand them, and and reflecting their language back to those buyers shows that you do just that. That's right. Yeah. So the the uh, the tactics or the the tricks or the the hacks those are all nice, but if you fundamentally don't understand your audience, none of those hacks will really work. Yeah, and then by understanding them, for example, I learned that uh, we played in a space called privileged account management at this last company, which all of the infrastructure, operating systems, databases, et cetera, have passwords. Bad guys get them and they could have the keys to the kingdom. And when I was talking with those IT admins, I learned that, for example, almost none of them, because they were responsible for complex infrastructures, knew about those privileged passwords, right? And if you don't even know how many you have, you can't manage or secure them. So with that understanding in our paid for tool, we had a discovery function. And so I decided to give away that discovery function for free because these IT admins really needed to know about these passwords. And with that free tool, they'd get this beautiful report that would show them what they had the risks associated with that, and even if they wanted to take care of it manually, what they would do. And then this just flew off the shelves. We had a, a huge website visitor to lead conversion rate because we had great content that we knew by understanding our customers better than our competitors did, uh, what content would actually capture their imagination and get them to respond. Nice. And, and what would you say just from, from someone who has had so many successful kind of home runs, we're all, we're all striving to hit that home run, as you call it. Most people never get there. You've done it several times. Looking at today, uh, we're, we're in 2023. Uh, what is working right now as far, as far as modern digital marketing and, and these, these kind of concepts, not tricks or tactics like we mentioned earlier, but fundamental strategies that are working right now that are going to help businesses thrive in 2023 and beyond? The way people buy has totally changed. 
buyers rely on digital content to make purchase decisions. Now think about it. If you're going to buy a car, what do you do? You, you Google the car, you do research about it. You'll probably go, if you're looking for a new car, build it on one of the manufacturer sites. You'll read reviews, you'll find out how much it should cost. You'll probably know as much about that car as the salesperson you're going to meet. That's the way people are buying today. And so what you've got to be able to do is to have content that gets the buy the visitors to your website to to actually fill in their contact information, which means it's got to be so compelling across the full spectrum of the buyer's journey that they're going to give you their name, their address, their email. And if you have a, at least a 5% website visitor to lead conversion rate, you've got great content. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, so I have been in the digital marketing space for a long time. And there's this concept of uh, kind of a, a shifting sophistication in the market. And uh, the the idea of it is basically, you know, 15 years ago, we could say, hey, uh, I can teach you how to make money on the internet. And people would just like fly to it. And that kind of, people kind of became numb to that because you know, there was money to be made and marketers ruin everything. And so, uh, so we had to move upstream and, oh, hey, I can teach you how to make money on the internet doing this. And that got flooded. Hey, I can teach you how to make money on the internet doing nothing. <laughs> and it kind of gets more and more sophisticated to the point to where people just fatigue out. And where it seems like it's going right now is the, the information product age, as far as selling an information product, there's so much information that that's no longer valuable. Information should be free. It's been, it's become democratized and people are going more towards the service model where your security company, for instance, we're going to offer a service. The information is free. The service is what you ultimately pay for. Could you, that's, that's what I've seen. That's what my circles are talking about right now. I'm curious to get your perspective on that. Uh, do you feel like that's legitimate? And where do you feel, if so, where do you feel like we are kind of in that, that arc of development? I think that certainly uh, just my experience is that we certainly had, um, uh, software as a service oriented products that people would buy by the drink, if you will, and that uh, approach to uh, to deciding upon scaling up almost if you're the company it's almost like a land and expand model based on earning the right to do business is certainly where where things are headed for many industry sectors, I think that the the real key uh, to me is having great content across uh, each stage of the buyer's journey so that no matter where the buyer is, whether they're educating themselves, whether they're considering different solutions or evaluating solutions or purchasing, that you don't have a gap in content across the buyer's journey because that will zap the velocity out of a high velocity model. And then I also believe that you have got to be great on Google. Right, and there are 300 page books and there are, sometimes you talk to different uh, SEO consultants and, and your head will spin. Hmm. 
But let me just offer up to listeners one thing they could do today to start improving their rankings. Okay. One thing you could do is if you are aware of the coveted keywords that are being searched on by talking to your buyers or getting some free tools to, to understand the volume of those searches when buyers are, are looking in and around your space and you have those coveted keywords, whenever we were producing content, we had our SEO expert meet with that content creator, suggest those keywords that should go in that content at the beginning, meet with them at the end to make sure that we in fact put them in there. Of course, the content's gotta be readable. You can't ruin it. Make sure that that content is exposed to Google so it could do its scanning. And of course, our content was great, so our partners loved it, so it earned us a ton of backlinks. Simply by implementing that process, we were able to punch far above our weight on Google against some much, much bigger, better funded competitors. Nice. Yeah, well said. And yeah, SEO is kind of like this murky territory that most people just don't know anything about. Uh, and so when, when you can break it down into a couple of steps to just consistently do this over time and over time, it's going to create those compound returns, but just not immediately. Yeah. And it's not a day one thing, but, uh, but Rome's not built in a day and you'd be surprised if you stay focused with that process that you will, you will move up and you will find that you're, you'll be in pretty good shape in short order. Awesome. Well, Steve, let's go into the do zone diagnostic and let's see how that brain works. You ready? Ready. Awesome. So uh, just a series of five questions I ask every single guest. Uh, rapid fire, just the first thing that comes to your mind. Number one, what's one thing you do that keeps you focused on your goals? I, I would say that it's summons, summoning the courage to make tough decisions, right? Where the, the do you have the guts to make the call? And and basically, a lot of people uh, are afraid about making the wrong decision because so many of them are not black and white. The world exists in shades of gray. And so I think oftentimes the difficult part is making a decision and having the courage to know that you, you might be wrong, but deciding anyways. Nice. And uh, next question, how do you get back on track when you lose that focus? I think it's in many ways just holding yourself accountable. Like, um, you know, we've all heard people say, why can't they just be more accountable? Why do things seem to be falling through the cracks, right? Th things like that. And I, I, I think what keeps me on track is that accountability takes guts. And it's one of the most important traits that I've seen in successful entrepreneurs because accountability sets the stage, in, in my view, for high performance. Oh, you're, you're, you're singing my song, man. Yeah, I built an entire business around goal setting and accountability. So I'm right there with you. Love that. Uh, and uh, next question, uh, Steve, what, who is your support group and how do they keep you accountable? Well, I have a support group of mentors that certainly I go to when I'm questioning or thinking about uh, about different life decisions. But I would say that the people that keep me the most accountable and grounded would be my family, right? And so I might have achieved a good 
amount of success in the, in my professional world, but I'm quickly reminded by my kids or even grandkids how much I actually don't know. And it's a good thing. <laughs> well said. And uh, so speaking of things you don't know, Steve, uh, how do you approach a difficult project that you're not sure how to complete? I think for me, it's when I find that there's difficult projects that I'm not sure how to complete, there's usually a reason. And, you know, a lot of times you would see things going great where you're getting stuff accomplished, but like there's one big issue that's hanging over stuff. And it could be the big issue that oftentimes people tiptoe around. Uh, maybe some people would refer to it as the elephant in the room. Uh, but what I found is, is that you've got to sort of be real with yourself, um, not avoid some of those big problems, those that elephant in the room, because unlike fine wine, uh, these elephants don't get better over time. They rarely vanish and they must be addressed head on. <laughs> these elephants don't get better over time. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, last question. What's the number one pro tip you'd give to someone looking to get more stuff done in less time? I would say protect your calendar, right? And so I, I think the key is, is, is protecting your calendar such that you can focus on priorities. And I think a lot of times people like scratching off things, maybe on a yellow pad that they got a lot of stuff done, but not all that stuff is created equal. So if you have built in time and then are willing to focus on the high priorities that will yield the best results, do that. Don't just scratch off a, a bunch of those easy things that don't move the needle. Yeah, well said, man. And uh, so I'm curious, how does a guy who has had so much business success and uh, such a great track record get into writing a murder mystery? <laughs> uh, well, it's partly it happens when you sort of semi retire and then, you know, you don't want to be old guy with nothing to do, to be honest. But <laughs> but uh, it's it's actually um, a funny story because my 82 year old mother, uh, we were going to have a, a birthday at her house and she asked me what's next. And I said to her that, you know, I always wanted to write a murder mystery. And then she said, well, what would you write about? And I made up something off the top of my head. I hadn't put much thought into it. But then I decided to get serious. And I wrote a detailed scene by scene outline of the story, built characters, really developed them, and then started to contact a couple of James Patterson's co-writers who have written books with him. And two of them loved the story, agreed to partner with me, and we're writing as we speak. Wow, that's fascinating. Do we have a working title or not yet? Well, the current working title is The Dream Immunity Pact. The Dream Immunity Pact. Well, I'm already intrigued. That's awesome. That, that's the goal. <laughs> that's the goal, right? That's that's marketing for you right there, baby. <laughs> now, that's cool. And so uh, this is the first time you've done anything like this. Yeah, it's really cool because in the case of my newest book, High Velocity Digital Marketing, I knew the framework. I knew I wanted to put together a how-to book. I didn't want a bunch of theory where people 
could learn how to uh, dramatically increase pipeline and accelerate revenue growth. And I knew where it was going. I just needed to, to, to write it, right? And in the case of the murder mystery, you're being super creative and you're, you're making up storylines and then characters morph and it's just using a completely different part of your brain and it's, it's a blast. It, you know, it was presented to me, uh, one of my business mentors, name is Adam Lyons, and uh, he talked about the the two brain hemispheres, they, they have to balance out. Uh, and whenever you're off balance, the other one kind of kicks in and, and punishes you a little bit. And, <laughs> and that's, and that's where like, if you're, if you're too productive, if like you're trying to work, and you don't balance that out with like some playtime then your your creative brain says no way dude i'm not letting you do anything and then it, you just sit there and you're like scrolling through facebook or you know like writer's block or something like that where it's just saying no i'm not going to let you do any work you're going to sit there and you're going to be miserable <laughs> but then when you go and you give it the time like okay let's go play then it says okay what do you need and well the other thing i would add to it at least in my case is that i'm writing this book uh like there's three of us right so it's a team so it's being on a team uh is something that i'm accustomed to to being in the trenches doing the work working with others and so this is just a a new team for me right and and yep. so it's the overall environment is one that i'm very familiar with that's awesome uh, i love it and so uh when when does the book come out uh, well, uh, we're about halfway through, so it's, uh, it, it'll be, it'll be a while. <laughs> okay. Got it. And so, so for those who want to learn a little bit more about, uh, what you do from a business perspective, uh, where would you recommend they go? I know you mentioned this book, high velocity digital marketing, uh, to uh, who is that for and what, what would you recommend? You know, who would you recommend that purchased that book? So I, if you're a sales and marketing leader that feels overwhelmed by revenue expectations that are tough and you want some real answers of things you could do, then this book is for you, right? And so uh, the book, High Velocity Digital Marketing, it's available wherever people uh, buy books online, uh, such as Amazon, and people can reach me at my website, which is beastartupsuperstar.com bastartupsuperstar.com. Farewell. So high velocity digital marketing available on Amazon. And to learn more about Steve, you can go to uh, bastartupsuperstar.com. And then Steve, I neglected, can you actually pronounce your last name for me so that I, did I say it right the first time? Kahan. Kahan. I nailed it. All right. You did. You did. I was I did. very impressed. <laughs> yeah. You never know, man. Sometimes, sometimes I blow it, but uh, so yeah, Steve Cahan, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing some wisdom about how you take action, about how you get things done. I know that I've taken away a lot of solid nuggets uh, here, specifically that elephants do not get better with time. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes, they do not age like fine wines. Uh, so thank you again. Any final words for our audience here before we wrap up? You have everything you need to achieve great success, channel, focus, and, 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 and if you surround yourself with A-plus talent, your odds of incredible success go up exponentially.
words to live by right there. We're going to wrap from here. Thanks again to our guest, Steve Cahan, for joining us and sharing his wisdom. If you want to learn more, connect with Steve directly, you can go to beastartupsuperstar.com and you can also purchase his book, High Velocity Digital Marketing, on Amazon or wherever you can buy books. Once again, if you want to keep hearing great content like this, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. And don't forget to tell your friends about the Do Zone podcast. If you like this episode, if you like Steve, if you like me, just tell them, share this episode if you think it's going to be impactful. And then finally, get your own personal Do Zone DNA by going to dozonedna.com. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Share this episode with a friend. Screenshot it and add it to your Instagram stories. Smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever works best for you. If you're looking to crush your goals this year and level up your team, we're here to help. To learn more about how our scientifically backed process can increase your company's productivity by up to 300%, head over to unbreakableteams.com. That's unbreakableteams.com.